the clicker. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, so isn't it awesome to be in a church that if you're not there, you really are really missed? <laughs> isn't that great? Yeah. I mean, isn't it great that everybody that came today came? And isn't it great to be in a church that you have, if ever you had the opportunity to know everybody that's there by name? This is it. You know? And you could literally, without probably extending the length of your quiet time hardly any, you could, this is what's awesome about being in this church, you could pray for everybody by name and by some need that you would probably know in their life. And it wouldn't be like, oh man, I I can't go to work today. I gotta, I gotta pray for everybody. And, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just so awesome. But uh, thanks so much to AJ and Nadia and Lexi for just leading us in, in a great time of worship and all the songs. But that one that had all the things that the Lord is, it's just like we could go home now. We won't, but we could because it's, it's, it's all there for us. So um, we're in Philippians, and Joey has assigned. Uh, to us today, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Okay, so that's our passage. And just to remember that this was a letter that was written, uh, I mean, we could in a great way think that it's, it's a love letter from God to us. Originally, it was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians that lived in the city of Philippi, church that he had planted. But he's writing it from prison, probably uh, at the end of the book of Acts, recorded that he was in house uh, under house arrest for about two years in a rented place. Probably, although it could have been from a previous imprisonment, but we'll, you know, just to get our minds around it, um, he's there. Now, think first of all, one of the most passionate, hard driving, uh, over the top all in individuals to ever walk the planet, Apostle Paul. And he's incarcerated. He's stopped, he's stuck, he's chained. He, he actually talks about his chain. He probably was able to roam around the house, but there was probably a guard there with him. And he's, and he's held there. Of all the dreams he had, all the things he wanted to do, I mean, that, that dynamo passion in his life, and, and yet he's... He's confined. Okay. If you ever feel that, if you ever feel like the you inside of you that isn't able to express itself, there's a, there's a dreamer, there's a happening uh, person, and somehow that's not the life, if you've ever been there, that's not the life you're living. This was Paul's situation. And we're so thankful. Because although he did write other letters, some of his... Some of his amazing work was done while he was in prison, the prison epistles. And we're so thankful that he was able to be held by God in that close space. And he did a lot of ministry from there, but, but we also get his thinking. Mm -hmm. And now there's, there's several ways that Paul could have, by the way, and we're going to read it in just a bit, that he could have written, and maybe that, you know, Timothy was there and Timothy was jotting it down. And he could have just had one 
bit of inspiration, just direct line from the spirit, download it goes, there's Philippians. That could be. But I, I picture, yes, the full inspiration is there, the spirit is working completely, and it's all of God that's coming. But I picture him laboring over every word. And he's walking back and forth, and he's, and he's trying to plumb the heights of heaven, but he's also giving to us the depths of his walk with God. I mean, we get to have what it was like to walk with God as the Apostle Paul did. Think about it. And I, I see him imparting to us so that in our lifetime we could explore what's this all about, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to read through it with that in mind, and then we're going to go back and we're going to draw some, some lessons from it uh, in application for our lives. So let's read. It's right here. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and uh, in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amazing passage. So in verse 1, Paul sets up this, this passage with an if-then framework. Mm -hmm. He talks about if this condition occurs, and the answer is yes, it does. Always, it's just a question of whether or not we're aware of it. If this is going on, then this action could flow from that. And to the degree that I get into the if of the condition that he's describing, to that degree, it will, it will flow it will flow naturally almost that the action is going to occur. And if I'm having trouble with the action, it's a good indication that there's somehow a disconnect between me and the if that he's des describing could be there anytime, anywhere. So, so the if that he's saying, if there is, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, comfort from his love, common sharing in the spirit, tenderness and, tenderness and compassion. These are our birthright. These are available to us 
anytime, anywhere. And if that's going on, and, and, and if we're tapping into it, then this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. If this, then this is, is going to be accessible, reachable, attainable for us to live. And we're going we're to talk about that in a little bit, but that uh, and the challenges that that imply for us, that is rooted in our living over here in these things. So now what we're going to do is, again, keeping in mind, he's, I think, he's just giving us this, this gourmet meal. I mean, he's just unpacking for us depths of stuff where every word it carries a whole bunch of spiritual weight with it. Okay, so encouragement from being united with Christ. Now that united with Christ is, is we're in him. We're in Christ when we're baptized, we're put in Christ. That's, that's our, our life. Let's talk about the encouragement. The encouragement comes from the word paraclesis. And paraclesis is a two-word word. It's a, it's a junction of, of two words, para, near, alongside, close beside, and klesis, to call. This is, by the way, the word that Jesus uses of the Holy Spirit. That's the word, the paraclesis. Uh, and it's the idea that we can call out and the Lord will come to our side. Just by virtue of us calling, Lord, like, like Peter out in the water, Lord, save me, the Lord's there. The calling and the coming alongside. And he's, he's inviting us to meet you. Have you ever had the experience of being in a bind in a tough situation and you call and you feel the Lord's coming right alongside of you? Is there any alongside call in your life? He says, and of course the answer is to us, yes. He says, tap into that. Be aware of that. Live from there. That, that's this encouragement, if there's any encouragement from being united with Christ. Now, one of the ways that this is described in the scriptures is like in Hebrews 12, verse 5. This kind of phrasing is used to say you've forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, as children of God. That it's that word of encouragement. So anytime, how does he how does he come alongside me? How does he how does he come alongside of me to encourage me? Anytime I remember a word of the Lord that gives me strength. Anytime it comes to mind, a scripture I've read or that somebody shared with me, a favorite verse of the Bible, I'm in a tough situation, out of nowhere it seems like that word is available to me. That's what's happening. That's what's going on in my life. And the idea is to become more and more aware, because it could be floating in the background, and it, and it could just be that much more if we could draw it in. That word of encouragement, that sense of him coming alongside of me. And what the effect is, that so often I might be inclined to pull back from a child to avoid the conflict, to protect myself from what seems to be the inevitable pain or hurt or discomfort. And this encouragement 
is inviting me to go ahead and engage. Face the challenge. Move into the difficulty. Don't run from it, but, but have the conversation. It could be anytime, anywhere, but it's that instead of pulling back, I move forward into, into the challenge. That is our benefiting from what is available to us. And he's going to get into the relationship stuff. And this is where that would be important. Where, where, where the, the relationship between me and you, or me and the church, or anybody, would be enhanced if I would step forward. But I'm afraid. I'm, I'm, I, I'm thinking about all of the things that could go wrong, and so I'm pulling back. But, but his coming alongside of me encourages me that word of encouragement encourages me to step into it. If you ever have that happening, and of course the answer is we do, live from there, orient to there, calibrate to that. Okay, here's the next one. Comfort from his love, and his love is agape. It's the unconditional love that is available to us. But here's the word comfort. And again, it's our friend para, paramithion. Para, near, alongside, close beside. But this word mythion is so cool. It's, it's a deeper expression than what we just had. The calling alongside is close, but uh, para mythion is describing something closer still. And it's a word, it's from where we get our word myth. Speaking a tender word, telling a story, explaining a mystery, making sense out of the perplexing things of life. Now, when we think of myth, we could think of something untrue. That's not the original use of the word. The original use of myth-telling was taking something that was complex out of life and unpacking it and making sense of it. So the close and the speaking, the tenderness, is almost like a whisper. The Lord is getting so close to us, and he's He's describing something that is hidden to other people. And maybe prior to that, is hidden to us. This is what Jesus did when he told parables. He was doing this. And there would be times when they, he would guess, why are you talking to parables? And he said, because it's going to be hidden from some and revealed to you. He just chose to do it that way. And it's like you really had to want it, and you had to pursue him and stay with him to get the meaning of it revealed to you. Have you ever had the experience of being in a, a just a really confusing, perplexing situation in life where you're trying to hammer it out with God, you're trying to sort it out, and all of a sudden it makes sense? That's what's going on. This is happening in your life. He's, he's uh, paramethion in you. He's, he's unpacking the mystery. And there have been key times in my life. A lot of the time, he's telling me in the whisper in my ear, not yet, I'm not going to explain this yet. You're just going to have to trust me and you're going to have to wait. That's, that's often. It's not every day that this is this breakthrough. But there are times when all of a sudden, oh, it just makes, it makes sense. Okay, now I get it. And isn't it true for all of us? that usually it is his love that finally makes the sense out of stuff. It's when I'm disconnected from and I don't see how this could possibly be an aspect of his love in my life, 
that I'm, I'm confused. But it's when all of a sudden I see how, yes, this, this could be, even if it's painful, this could be an expression of his love in my life, then I get okay with it. So we're recently, you know, we're here, and we were somewhere else a few months ago, and that's, that's true for all of us, though a little bit longer for Jesse and the maze. But, but all of us were somewhere else and then we're here, and how did that come about for us? There was this moment we had been talking and praying about our ministry, and maybe things were coming to an end there, and I was, I was on this, I'll say run, but it was really, I don't know if what I do is run, but maybe more than jogging, speed I go <laughs> But I was on this loop run, and it just, it, just, it just hit me. It was so confirmed of God. He was saying, it's time. It's time to let go. It's time to move on. And nobody else could have gotten me to do it. You could not have pried my cold, dead hands from the ministry and the grip I had on it, except the Lord. And Renee and I joked, she's not going to get me to do it, you know. But the Lord could. And it has that weight to us, that comfort from his love. Uh, I, can, I can handle anything when he's there. So if, if the calling alongside uh, is, is speaking to us, um, this, this is making sense to us of, of, of what's going on in life. Okay, then there's common sharing in the spirit. And there's an increase in the closeness of, of each one of these. He's taking it a step closer, a step deeper. So this is the word koinomia, one of the coolest words in the New Testament. Um, the the Greek that the New Testament was written in was Koine Greek. It was the Greek of the common, what everyday, not classical, but what everyday people spoke. It's all of these things that could be translated all of these ways, participation, fellowship, contact, connection, communion, but all of them build towards intimacy. And it's, it's describing, uh, when Jesus says in John 14, me and the Father are going to come and we're going to make our home with you. He's describing the work of the Spirit. And it, this common sharing is whatever I'm going through in my life, the, the Spirit is there to share in it with me. If I ever feel the, the feeling I'm alone, um, I'm going through something and, and, and nobody can understand, this is inviting me to think again. To look again at that and listen again for the sharing of the Spirit. The Spirit wants to share in it with me and be there. This is a good time to introduce another aspect of this passage. Each of these expressions could first of all be could first of all be, be viewed as coming in just in your individual relationship with God. It's just you and God, and these things are happening just with you and the Lord. And that would be accurate. But it's also true that we can understand these expressions, the encouragement from being united with Christ, the comfort from his love, and now the common sharing of the spirit as opportunities for us to enjoy in the fellowship of the church. And he could just as easily be talking about the common sharing that I have with the Holy Spirit in my daily walk as 
connections that I have with each of you because you have the same spirit inside of you. And when we're singing together, we're, we're sharing that. And when we're, and we're talking and we're, we're connecting with each other and things that are going on in our lives, uh, there is this, also this aspect of we're in this together. We're, none of us are alone, we're in it. And that's again why, why every time we get together like this, it, you know, we get, we get strength from each other that we wouldn't otherwise have. So this is God saying to us, you're not alone. I'm with you, and you have brothers and sisters that are with you. And then it goes the deepest of all. We've just gone plumbing the depths deeper in what's available to us. And these are the, the deepest words yet in the conjunction and um, in this connection. Splontnon is a funny word because it, it could be translated kind of grossly, but I went with the more user friendly inward parts. It's describing a visceral experience. Uh, it ultimately came to describe the deep emotions. It's gut-level compassion. It's being touched deeply. It's being moved to the inmost parts. And you can think of words that might otherwise and graphically describe this. This was Jesus when he saw the leper, and he went in and he touched him. And by the way, there's two translations of that. One says... The, the old NIV said Jesus was moved with compassion. And then the new one says Jesus was indignant. It's really an interesting take on that. It's like he felt something deeply and he was moved. Was it compassion? Was it indignation? Maybe it's a combination of both, right? Okay, so tenderness and compassion combined with kindness and mercy uh, to respond with deep sensitivity, uh, the desire to bring relief from sorrow. This kind of sums up the whole thing. Do you ever have the experience of knowing God gets you? Like you would just say, he gets me. He, 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 he really understands what I'm going through. Because the absence of that is really tough when we don't, isn't it? Those are those are dark days, and we all go we all go through those times. But how it doesn't matter what's going on. How awesome it is when we feel this. And he's saying, have you ever? Is there any tenderness and compassion? Because what it does when we feel it, then that absolutely tends to then bring some tenderness and compassion that are available in us towards other people. Where else do you get that? If, if you don't have that connection with God, you're running on empty. It just, you don't have that to draw on. But when you have that, then it's amazing how even some of the most difficult people, you can find some tenderness and some compassion for. You can begin to get them. You can begin to feel with them and to empathize with what they're going through. So here is the if. That if you know that God is with you, that God is making sense of your life, that God gets you, and that you're also drawing that from your connection with brothers and sisters. And by the way, that takes time to develop that kind of trust and that level of connectedness. Even with us in the new church, it's going to take us some time. That doesn't just happen. We can aspire to it. 
But it's going to take time for those relationships to be forged. And what we're going to do is we're just going to hang in there with each other while we're tapping into the Lord. And more and more, that's, that's the kind of church that we're going to find ourselves living in. So if that's going on, now it gets to the then. And we'll just go through each, each of these sentences real quick. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one experience. What he's describing there is unity. That's real unity. Uh, how we're thinking, uh, how we're loving, what we're intending to do, what, what aspirations in the spirit we have, we're, we're unified. Now, there's a couple ways to achieve that. One way is to just don't care. I can be unified with you if I just don't care. Whatever you want. You want to do that way? You want to do church that way? You want to believe that? You want to hope? Fine, I don't care. Then we got no conflict. But what happens when you really, really care about the things you believe? You really, really care about what the church is doing and how the church is going to be in the world. What then? Now we've got an opportunity to get to that. And somehow it's the ability to take what I have and bring it to you and say, man, I really, I'm really, I believe this. This is how I see it. But I'm going to hold it out here with open hands. And I want to see what you're bringing and what's important to you. And I want to see if somehow we can, in a process of working together, and I'm going to be willing to give up and sacrifice. I want you to know how important they are to me, but I'm going to be willing to, to give, because you're going to be more important to me than these things that I hold so dear. That's, that's a different kind of need. And what it's going to ultimately describe is it, it requires some sacrifice. Where is that sacrifice going to come from? It's going to come from verse 1. As I tap into verse 1, I'm going to have some overflow to be able to give up some things. It's not going to be all I have. I'm going to be able to give up some of it. Okay, so that's unity. Then, he gets to verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others above yourself. Let's just pick the word conceit out of that because there's so much there. Conceit is the idea of living in the world with me as the center of the universe. Conceit is self-reference. I am conceited to the degree that everything has to somehow work for me. I'm conceited every time I look at a group photo, and the first thing I do is, where am I, and how do I look, you know? Uh, am I weird in this one again? Or, you know, it's, it's the idea of more concerned about myself and where I am in the picture than, than the group. That's, that's conceit. And, and of course, I, I don't need to point out to you where you fall short, because it's painfully apparent to all of us. But the idea is, to practice more and more getting out of that self-reference, to interact at any given moment, any time, anywhere, with not thinking about how does this affect me? How is this good or bad for me? But, but just getting out of that. That's one of the ways that I'm practicing what he's describing in verse 3. And in verse 4, not looking out for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Just quickly, a question here. How do you discern if I am supposed to be looking out for your interests, how could I ever discern what your interests are? Think about that. How is one to know if we're called to think about the interests of others? 
How is one to know and discern what are the interests of others? Here's a clue. Be interested. <laughs> to the degree that I'm actually interested in what Nadia's going through, she hurt her wrist. And to the degree that I'm interested, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually tune into that and watch her when she winces, when something's painful there. Or whatever you might be going through, and it might be in conversation, I'm going to know what's of interest to you if I'm interested in what's of interest to you. Just the level of interest. And one of the great ways we apply this, just one practical way, and we'll move on. And that is what kind of a listener we are in our interactions with others. Just really listen. We will be so rare in terms of people that people deal with. Among the people that we deal with, we will be rare among them. To the degree that we practice that, what's called empathetic listening, which isn't just getting the facts, but really being able to kind of put yourself in the person's life experience that's talking to you. And learning how to ask some, some questions that maybe aren't too threatening and too probing that are, that are appropriate for where the relationship or where the conversation is at, but just being able to, by uh, tuning in a bit and sometimes just observing, even listening to the, the nonverbal communication, but to the degree that we listen, that's just one challenge or one practical. To that degree, we're gonna, we're gonna be doing what he's describing. And I have the capacity to stop thinking about myself and listening to what's going on to you every time I know my cup overflows. God's taking care of me. I don't have to worry about me. I don't know what's going on. God's doing such a great job of taking care of me. That's verse one. That I can, I can go ahead and let God handle me, and now I can think for a little while about you. What's going on there? Okay. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset for Christ. So, if we track that verse clearly, then what we come up with is, I can have this mindset in my relationships because in Jesus' relationship with me, this is how he is. And I really think our greatest challenge is receiving the atonement for ourselves. It's our greatest challenge. And first, square one, step one, the first thing we always have to do is realize that this is how God is loving me. And when I do that, then I may find something of the strength, the wherewithal to love you in that way. This is how he is with me. Though he was in very nature God, he didn't think about his deity in relationship to me to use it to his own advantage. His, his, his essence of who he, he, was, he was God, and that very most, most precious thing that he was, the core of his who he was, deep down, he didn't, he didn't think about taking advantage of that. He was willing to set that aside for me. Uh, he made himself nothing. For me, he uh, became a servant. For me, he he 
made uh, himself a human likeness. He, I can really say he gets me because he really did come in, in the same kind of physical flesh problems and weaknesses as me, and he, he lived there. And he was willing to obey the Father's plan with respect to me, even to the point of death. He didn't hold anything back to me. And it's understanding whatever he might have done for the world, but really getting personally that he did that for me. I think that's, that's what Paul is feeling and why, even though he's incarcerated, he writes the, the letter of joy. He talks about rejoicing always, and he says, I know this is going to work out for the good of the gospel. It's going to work out for my benefit. I'm seeing other people are encouraged, and he could just take something that was circumstantially so difficult, and he could just totally turn it around, because he lived from there. And that's, that's the invitation for each of us, is to, to spend more time feeling loved by God, feeling his, his grace, his mercy, his affection, his total all-in commitment, and then from there, uh, we have the, the confidence list. So um, it's Super Bowl, but the Super Bowl really isn't a Central Oregon sport. They also had this weekend the national championships of rock climbing. It wasn't held at Smith Rock. These are pictures of Smith Rock. It was held at the Deschutes County Fairground. It's kind of in between here and Redmond. But uh, it's like, Globally on the map, Smith Rock is with the, the climbing community. And, and what I like about these pictures is, by the way, I'm not encouraging you to go try it. <laughs> I, I, I care about you, I worry about you. But, but, but just the, the one lens is to look at is think about the pure concentration that climbers have to have. Every foothold, every handhold, every next move. I mean, there is no checking out, not for even a moment. And you know what happens? There's a lot at stake when you do. The climber's focus is the focus we're invited to have on the Lord, on the Lord, on His love for us and His word to us and His encouragement coming alongside, speaking, decoding life in our ear the fellowship that we can enjoy with the Spirit and the sense of tenderness and compassion to so be, so the, the concentration and the focus is so unbroken that we're, we're clear on the next move we have to make. That, that's what we're invited to have here. And so now we're going to transition to communion with the last part of the passage. And the whole passage is great for our meditation. Uh, taking bread that reminds us of his body and drink from the cup that reminds us of his blood. And, and here's what we have the opportunity to do in this communion. It's what God did. God exalted him to the highest place. And we have a moment right now and all the other stuff that's going on in our life. We've got a lot of important stuff that we're doing. It's good stuff. And, and all of that is there and it's as it should be. And then there's the most important, there's the highest place. And that's where Jesus is. Mm -hmm. to, to take the time and, and the, the body, the bread, and his bearing our sins with that body, the cup and his blood, and it poured out for our forgiveness, 
that we're taking a moment in, out of our forgiveness and out of our gratitude, and we're just going to exalt Jesus to the highest place. So that it would just take a thought of the name of Jesus anywhere we are this week, anything that's going on, just the thought of the name, and it's like our knees are bowed. Though physically we're going to continue on doing what we're doing, but it's like the knees are bowed. The tongue is confessing we're living Jesus as Lord. Because we're in a moment here, we're exalting him to the highest place. And that's that's the culmination of, of this passage and, and a good result of us being in this passage together is Jesus being exalted to the highest place. Let's pray before we pray. Lord, thanks for our time together. And being able to be with the Apostle in his relationship with you and the inspiration uh, that was directly from you, but also from, from Paul's life that makes it somewhat reachable for us. Thank you that we can know you in this way as the one who forgives us. We can know you as the one who sacrifices everything for us. We can know you as the one who's taken our sins as far away from us as east is from west, never to have an impact on our life again. Thank you for that. Bless the bread, bless the cup as we partake. In Jesus' name.